You're listening to WHTT Speaks Out. Each week, Chuck Carlson and members of We Hold These Truths look into events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events to get free and periodic updates to this program and our other interesting programs. Be sure to enter your email address in the subscribe to WHTT box on the right side of our website, whtt.org. And now, ready, set, let the sparks fly. In today's WHTT Speaks Out, we're going to continue on with part two of our podcast entitled The Israeli Emperor Has No Clothes. And in this, our researcher, Craig Hansen, will talk about some of the details of the report by the United Nations that it was entitled Israeli Practices Towards the Palestinian People and the Question of Apartheid, which we uh, talked about in our first podcast. And so now we're going to be talking about some more of the details. And again, the attacks were not on the content that we uh, seen. It was only on the people that wrote it. Craig, thanks for doing this report for us. All right, Tom. Uh, thank you. As to ease your minds, I'm not going to be reading the full 74-page report, but I do want to just quote from the report in a bunch of different areas because it is so easy to just read the headlines in the news and say, oh, this is just Israel bashing or this is just anti-Semitism or this is, this is whatever. This is attacking our only, the only democracy in the Middle East or you know, this is on and on and on it goes. But when you hear the report for itself, you kind of have to go, oh, well, there's all this smoke. There's some fire under here, and we need to kind of poke around and find out what this is all about. So that's that's what I'm going to try to do, it just kind of highlight kind of a rapid trip through the report. And so I'm going to start with the preface to the report. Again, we're going to have the report available as a PDF file with this podcast so that anyone can pull this down. You can pass it around to your friends. And there's so much of this, and I think, as you heard in Part 1, this word needs to get out because uh, the UN has repressed this. It needs to get out into the, the mainstream and say either something is wrong here. The fact that we as a nation are supporting this apartheid regime with our tax dollars to the tune of $10 million a day, if politicians are getting bought off and supporting this whole thing, we need to shake this up. And that's why I entitled this, The Emperor Has No Clothes, because especially through the support, it exposes the lies, the deceits, the, all, all the shenanigans that have gone on for too many years now. And so let me, let me get another report before I start uh, editorializing here too much. Okay, starting with the preface. The authors of this report, examining whether Israel has established an apartheid regime that oppresses and dominates the Palestinian people as a whole, fully appreciate the sensitivity of the question. Even broaching the issue has been denounced by spokespersons of the Israeli government and many of its supporters as anti-Semitism in a new guise. In 2016, Israel successfully lobbied for the inclusion of criticism of Israel in laws against anti-Semitism in Europe and in the United States of America. And background documents to those legal instruments list the apartheid charges as one example of attempts aimed at, quote, destroying Israel's image and isolating it as a pariah state, end quote. The authors reject the accusation of anti-Semitism in the strongest terms. First, the question of whether the state of Israel 
is constituted as an apartheid regime springs from the same body of international human rights laws and principles that rejects anti-Semitism, that is, the prohibition against racial discrimination. No state is immune from the norms and rules enshrined in the International Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Racial Discrimination, which must be applied impartially. The prohibition of apartheid, which, as a crime against humanity, can admit no exceptions, flows from the Convention. Strengthening that body of international law can only benefit all groups that have historically endured discrimination, domination, and persecution, including Jews. Secondly, the situation in Israel-Palestine constitutes an unmet obligation of the organized international community to resolve a conflict partially generated by its own actions. That obligation dates formally to 1922, when the League of Nations established the British Mandate for Palestine as a territory eminently ready for independence as an exclusive secular state. Yet incorporated into that mandate, the core pledge of the Balfour Declaration to support the, quote, Jewish people, end quote, and their efforts to establish in Palestine a, quote, Jewish national home, end quote, Later, United Nations Security Council and General Assembly resolutions attempted to resolve the conflict generated by that arrangement, yet could not prevent related proposals, such as partition, from being overtaken by events on the ground. If this attention to the case of Israel by the United Nations appears exceptional, therefore it is only because no comparable linkage exists between United Nations actions and any other prolonged denial to a people of their right of self-determination. To assert that the policies and practices of a sovereign state amount to apartheid constitute a grave charge. A study aimed at making such a determination should be undertaken and submitted for consideration only when supporting evidence clearly exceeds reasonable doubt. The authors of this report believe that evidence for suspecting that a system of apartheid has been opposed on the Palestinian people meets such a demanding criterion. Given the protracted suffering of the Palestinian people, it would be irresponsible not to present the evidence and legal arguments regarding whether Israel has established an apartheid regime that oppresses the Palestinian people as a whole, and not to make recommendations for appropriate further action by international and civil society. In sum, this study was motivated by the desire to promote compliance with international human rights laws uphold and strengthen international criminal law and ensure that the collective responsibilities of the United Nations and its member states with regard to crimes against humanity are fulfilled. More concretely, it aims to see the core commitment of the international community to upholding international law applied to the case of the Palestinian people in defense of its rights under international law, including the right of self-determination. So that is the preface to the report. Next is uh, the executive summary. This report concludes that Israel has established an apartheid regime that dominates the Palestinian people as a whole. Aware of the seriousness of this allegation, the authors of this report conclude that available evidence establishes beyond a reasonable doubt that Israel is guilty of policies and practices that constitute the crime of apartheid as legally defined in instruments of international law. 
The analysis in this report rests on the same body of international human rights laws and principles that reject anti-Semitism and other racially discriminatory ideologies. And this is the section on land use at the page two of the report. The Israel Lands Authority, ILA, manages state land, which accounts for 93% of the land within the internationally recognized borders of Israel and is by law closed to use, development, or ownership by non-Jews. Parenthetically, or I just heard on the news today that a section of the occupied territories has been declared Israel land. And so when they take the occupied territory, a piece of that declared Israel land by their own constitution, that has to be for development or ownership by Jews only. So that's, I'm sorry, I'll go sidetrack there. Okay, uh, keep going here on um, land use. The Knesset prohibits any political party from challenging that public purpose. Effectively, Israeli law renders opposition to racial domination illegal. Demographic engineering is another area of policy serving the purpose of maintaining Israel as a Jewish state. Most well-known is Israeli law conferring on Jews worldwide the right to enter Israel and obtain Israeli citizenship regardless of their countries of origin and whether or not they can show links to Israel-Palestine while withholding any comparable rights from Palestinians, including those with documented ancestral homes within the country. On a far larger scale, it is a matter of Israeli policy to reject the return of any Palestinian refugees and exiles, totaling some six million people to territory under Israeli control. Okay, I put here divide and conquer from the report. This report finds that the strategic fragmentation of the Palestinian people is the principal method by which Israel imposes an apartheid regime. It first examines how the history of war, partition, de jure and de facto annexation, and prolonged occupation in Palestine has led to the Palestinian people being divided into different geographic regions administered by distinct sets of law. This fragmentation operates to stabilize the Israeli regime of racial domination over the Palestinians and to weaken the will and capacity of the Palestinian people to mount a unified and effective resistance. Then it goes into the four domains that I just kind of talked about separating the Palestinians into groups, and here's the four domains from the report. Since 1967, Palestinians as a people have lived in what the report refers to as four domains in which the fragments of Palestinian populations are ostensibly treated differently but share in the common racial oppression that results from the apartheid regime. Those domains are, one, civil law with special restrictions governing Palestinians who live as citizens of Israel. Two, permanent residency law governing Palestinians living in the city of Jerusalem. Three, military law covering Palestinians, including those in refugee camps, living since 1967 under conditions of belligerent occupation in the West Bank and Gaza Strip, and four, policy to preclude the return of Palestinians, whether refugees or exiles, living outside territory under Israel control. So that's how the divide and conquer separate the Palestinians and handle them differently. 
Next on page four, this is citizenship versus nationality. I'm sure we've all heard that the, oh, the Arabs inside of Israel, they have voting rights and they're citizens and they can vote. It's a democracy. Watch how this works here. This on page four. Domain one. The distinction is made in Israel between citizenship, Ezrahut, and nationality, the Hum. All Israeli citizens enjoy the former, but only Jews enjoy the latter. National rights in Israeli law signify Jewish national rights, which there is a separation there. We get into that later. Domain two covers approximately 300,000 Palestinians who live in East Jerusalem who experience discrimination in access to education, health care, employment, residency, and building rights. They also suffer from expulsions and home demolitions, which serve the Israeli policy of, quote, a demographic balance in favor of Jewish residents. East Jerusalem Palestinians are classified as permanent residents, which places them in a separate category designed to prevent their demographic and, importantly, electoral weight being added to that of Palestinian citizens in Israel. As permanent residents, they have no legal standing to challenge Israeli law. Domain three is a system of military law imposed on approximately 4.6 million Palestinians who live in the occupied Palestinian territory, 2.7 million of them in the West Bank and 1.9 million in the Gaza Strip. The territory is administered in a manner that fully meets the definition of apartheid under the Apartheid Convention. Domain four refers to the millions of Palestinian refugees and involuntary exiles, most of whom live in neighboring countries. They are prohibited from returning to their homes in Israel and the occupied Palestinian territory. Israel defends its rejection of the Palestinians' return in, frankly, racist languages. It is alleged that Palestinians constitute a, quote, demographic threat, end quote, and that their return would alter the demographic character of Israel to the point of eliminating it as a Jewish state. This report finds that taken together, the four domains constitute one comprehensive regime developed for the purpose of ensuring the enduring domination over non-Jews in all land exclusively under Israeli control in whatever category. The report concludes that the weight of the evidence supports beyond a reasonable doubt the proposition that Israel is guilty of imposing an apartheid regime on the Palestinian people, which amounts to the commission of a crime against humanity. And this is something we at WHCT have been saying for years. You know, Chuck experienced that in Gaza when he was there. We've seen that over and over again. It's, it's so refreshing to have a report come out that, that puts all the facts together, including the, the basis of international law. Moving on to uh, page 10, Israel must do the changing. Nonetheless, it is primarily incumbent on Israel to comply with international criminal law. Apartheid is an international crime, is now viewed by jurists as a preemptory norm, just Coggins, of international customary law, which creates obligations for all. Then we move into Section 1, which sets the legal framework for apartheid. This probably is one of the strongest pieces of the report because it puts together all the international law that defines what is apartheid. How do you recognize it when you see it? And so page 12, 
The Apartheid Convention of 1973 classifies apartheid as a crime against humanity in Articles 1 and 2 and provides the most detailed definition of it in international law. Okay, and then here's the responsibilities of UN member states to respond once an apartheid state has been determined. What are the responsibilities of the UN member states? This report proceeds on the assumption that apartheid is a crime against humanity and that all member states of the United Nations are legally responsible for acting to prevent, end, and punish its practice. There's the rub. This gets into the uh, next step. Uh, the errors are just thinking about South Africa because of many of the accusations, well, Israel is not South Africa. And like Chuck's bench, no, it's not. It's worse. But, okay, here's what it says in the report about South Africa. The South African comparison will be mostly avoided in this report because, one, such comparison contradicts the universal character of the prohibition of apartheid, and, two, because apartheid systems that arise in different countries will necessarily differ in design. And then the next one, why Israel apartheid doesn't have to be identical to the South African apartheid. This is on page 16. For example, some claim that Israel clearly does not practice apartheid because Palestinian citizens of Israel have the right to vote in national elections, while black South Africans did not. That the design of apartheid regimes in other states must necessarily differ to the unique history of their societies and the collective experience shaping local racial thought, such as settler colonialism, slavery, ethnic cleansing, war or genocide, is neglected in such a simplified search for models. Moving to page 17, apartheid is not just discrete acts, but it's also the policy behind them. This is from the, the Rome Statute talking about apartheid. Quote, the crime of apartheid means inhumane acts of a character similar to those referred to in paragraph one. That is, when committed as part of a widespread or systematic attack directed against any civilian population with knowledge of the attack committed in the context of an institutionalized regime of systematic oppression and domination by one racial group over any other racial group or groups and committed with the intention of maintaining that regime. Page 20, constitutional law. However, if constitutional law defines the state as racial in character, as in Israel, as a Jewish state, movements against racial discrimination not only lack this crucial legal resource, but find themselves in the far more dangerous position of challenging the regime itself. Such a challenge will naturally be seen by regime authorities as an existential threat and will be persecuted accordingly. If you fight the racial discrimination, you're going after the basic constitution of the nation. Page 27, define groups. A comprehensive review of how Jewish and Palestinian identities are understood locally in Israel-Palestine would overburden this report. Fortunately, one factor confirms the racial quality of both identities in this context. Both are considered dissent groups, one of the categories in the International Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Racial Discrimination. Page 24, who is a Jew? Hilaka, often translated as Jewish law and social norms in Jewish communities provide that Jewish identity is conveyed from mother to child irrespective of the individual's actual religious beliefs or practice. The state of Israel enshrined the central importance of dissent 
in its law of return in 1950, amended in 1970, which states that, quote, for the purpose of this law, Jew means a person who was born of a Jewish mother or has become converted to Judaism and who is not a member of another religion. That claim to unbroken lineal descent from antiquity attributes collective rights to the land of Israel, to an entire group on the basis of its supposed bloodline. The incompatible claim that Jewishness is multiracial by virtue of its character as a religion to which others have converted is simply absent from the formula. The emphasis on descent implicitly portrays all other descent groups, including Palestinians, as lacking any comparable rights by virtue of their different descent. Thus, the claim to Palestine as the exclusive homeland of the Jewish people rests on expressly racial conception of both groups. This means that Jews and Palestinians are racial groups as defined by the International Convention, elimination of all forms of racial discrimination, and accordingly for the purpose of the Apartheid Convention. Okay, so basically saying, okay, we're talking two groups, two descents, two different descent groups, and one is going to be exercising control over the other. Part two, testing for apartheid regime in Israel-Palestine. This gets into the history, the historic uh, Jewish control of Palestine. Part A, the political geography of Palestine, page 30. By developing discrete bodies of laws termed domains in this report for each territory in the Palestinian population, Israel has both affected, affected and veiled a comprehensive policy of apartheid directed at the whole Palestinian people. Warfare, partition, de jure and de facto annexation, and occupation of Palestine have, over the decades, generated the complex geography in which the Palestinian people have become fragmented into different juridical categories and are administered by different bodies of law. What matters for the purpose of a study of apartheid is how Israel has exploited this fragmentation to secure Jewish national dominion. Uh, B, Israel as a racial, racial state. The 1952 World Zionist Organization Jewish Agency Status Law, which established those organizations as authorized agencies of the state on a range of responsibilities, including land settlements, specified that Israel is, quote, the creation of the entire Jewish people and its gates are open in accord with its laws to every Jew wishing to immigrate to it, end quote. The mission of preserving Israel as a Jewish state has inspired or even compelled Israel to pursue, pursue several general racial policies. One, demographic engineering. The first general policy of Israel has been one of demographic engineering in order to establish and maintain an overwhelming Jewish majority in the land. Related practices include, one, a global program organized by the World Zionist Organization, a Jewish agency, launched at the end of the 19th century and accelerated into the early 1930s to bring Jewish immigrants to Palestine in numbers large enough to ensure the demographic majority needed for building a Jewish state with democratic characteristics. Number two, ethnic cleansing, forcible displacement in 1948 of an estimated 800,000 Palestinians from areas that became part of the internationally recognized territory of Israel. Three, 
subsequent measures undertaken by Israel to maintain an overwhelmingly Jewish majority within its internationally recognized territories, including by a preventing Palestinian refugees from the wars of 48 and 67 from returning to homes in Israel or in the occupied Palestinian territory, which they had abandoned due to fighting, dispossession, forced expulsion, and terror. C, composing the law of return and citizenship laws, often wrongly translated as nationality law, to provide Israeli citizenship to Jews from any part of the world while denying citizenship even to those Palestinians who have documented history of residency in the country, and see a range of other policies designed to restrict the size of Palestinian populations, including harsh restrictions placed on immigration, the return of refugees, and rules prohibiting Palestinian spouses of Israeli citizens from gaining legal residency rights in Israel. Number four, the affirmation in the basic law that Israel is a Jewish and democratic state thus establishing Jewish racial domination as a foundational doctrine. Together, those measures have been highly effective in maintaining an overwhelming Jewish majority in Israel. In 1948, the ratio of Palestinians to Jews in Palestine were approximately 2 to 1, some 1.3 million Arabs and 630,000 Jews. Today, Palestinian citizens of Israel constitute only about 20% of the population rendering them a permanent minority. Number two here, bans on challenges to racial domination. Voting rights lose their significance in terms of equal rights when a racial group is legally banned from challenging laws that perpetuate inequality. An analogy would be a system in which slaves have the right to vote, but not against slavery. Number three, Israeli Jewish national institutions. A principal task of the Jewish agency, the World Zionist Organization, is to work actively to build and maintain Israel as a Jewish state, particularly through immigration policy. Okay, this is from the Jewish organization. Five, the mission of gathering in the Jewish exiles, which is the central task of the state of Israel and the Zionist movement in our day, require constant efforts by the Jewish people of the diaspora, the state of Israel, therefore expects the cooperation of all Jews as individuals and groups in building up the state and assisting the immigration to it of the masses of Jewish people and regards the unity of all sections of Jewry as necessary for the purpose. Such explicit language by the state's authorized agencies conclusively underlines the state's essentially racist character. Part C, we're moved to page 37 now. Apartheid through fragmentation. The method of fragmentation serves also to obscure this regime's very existence. That system lies at the heart of what is to be addressed in the report. Okay, the four domains we've talked about a little, a little bit before. This report finds that Israel maintained an apartheid regime by ad administering Palestinians under different bodies of law identified here as constituting four legal domains. Domain one, laws curtailing the capacity of Palestinian citizens of Israel to obtain equal rights within the state's democracy. Domain two, permanent residency laws designed to maintain a highly insecure legal status for Palestinian residents of occupied East Jerusalem. Domain three, military law governing Palestinians in occupied Palestinian territory 
as a permanent alien population, which rejects any claims they may want to make on Israeli political representation for equal rights and conditions and domain for policies preventing Palestinian refugees and involuntary exiles from returning to their homes in mandate Palestine, all territory under the direct control of Israel. These four domains interplay so as to enfeeble Palestinian resistance to Israeli apartheid oppression in each of them, thereby reinforcing oppression of the Palestinian people as a whole. So now we're going to get into counter-argument. What I love about the report, they even put out what's the counter-argument to this report. Here's the first one, and this is part D, counter-argument. France expresses self-determination, why not Israel? This is page 49. This common argument derives from miscasting how national identities function in modern national states. In France, for example, anyone holding French citizenship, regardless of whether they are indigenous or of immigrant origin, are equal members of the French nation and enjoy equal rights. According to the Supreme Court, Israel is not the state of the Israeli nation, but of the Jewish nation. Collective rights in Israeli law are explicitly conferred on Jews as a people and on no other collective identity. National rights for Jews embedded in such laws as the law of return and the citizenship law do not extend to any other group under Israeli rule. Hence, racial nationalistic privileges are embedded in the legal and doctrinal foundation of the state that is exceptional and would meet the opprobrium of any other country as it did in apartheid South Africa. Number two, Palestinians are residents of the state and have no rights. This is page 50. The apartheid convention cites as crimes of apartheid, quote, measures calculated to deny members of a racial group or groups, end quote, basic human rights, including the right to a nationality, Article 2C. Thus, the argument that Israel cannot be responsible for Palestinians who are non-citizens reinforces the finding of apartheid when one asks why they are not citizens. At the heart of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is indeed the exclusion of Palestinians as non-Jews from citizenship in the state that governs their country. The liminal condition of living in a state of Palestine, recently recognized by the General Assembly, yet lacking all attributes of sovereignty, has not provided Palestinians with a citizenship that has concrete application. Number three, security, not racism, is the basis for Israeli repression of Palestinians, page 50. However, the security issues related to Israeli measures relevant to this study are usually cited only in relation to the occupied Palestinian territory. While the apartheid regime is applied to the Palestinian people as a whole, moreover, apartheid is prohibited under international law irrespective of its duration. The apartheid convention makes no distinction in terms of the period of time apartheid is carried out or the state's ultimate vision of the future. Part three, conclusions and recommendations. A, conclusion. This report establishes on the basis of scholarly inquiry and overwhelming evidence that Israel is guilty of the crime of apartheid. However, only a ruling by an international tribunal in that sense would make such an assessment truly authoritative. In the case of Israel-Palestine, any delay compounds the crime by prolonging the subjugation of Palestinians to the active practice of apartheid by Israel. Prompt action 
is accordingly imperative to avert further human suffering and end a crime against humanity that is being committed now. Secondly, the extreme gravity of the charge requires prompt action. Since the 1970s, when the international campaign to oppose apartheid in South Africa gathered momentum, apartheid has been considered in the annals of the United Nations and world public opinion to be second only to genocide in the hierarchy of criminality. This report accordingly recommends that the international community act immediately without waiting for a more formal pronouncement regarding the culpability of the State of Israel, its government, and its officials for the commission of the crime of apartheid. Civil society institutions and individuals also have a moral duty to use the instruments at their disposal to raise awareness of this ongoing criminal enterprise and to exert pressure on Israel to dismantle apartheid structures and to negotiate in good faith for a lasting peace that acknowledges the rights of Palestinians under international law and makes it possible for the two peoples to live together on the basis of real equality. Recommendations, Part B. General recommendations. One, United Nations bodies, national governments, and civil society actors, including religious organizations, should formally endorse the principal finding of this report that the treatment by Israel of the Palestinians is consistent with the crime of apartheid. Two, on that basis, those actors should examine what measures can be taken in accordance with their legal obligations as set forth under the Apartheid Convention. As the crime of apartheid qualifies as a peremptory or just cogent norm of international law, states are bound by the convention even if they are not parties to it and would have similar legal obligations even in the absence of the convention because the crime of apartheid is prohibited under customary international law. Recommendations for the United Nations. One, each United Nations body should promptly consider what actions to take in view of the finding that Israel maintains a racist regime of apartheid in its exercise of control over the Palestinian people, taking due account of the fragmentation of that people by Israel, which is itself an aspect of the control arrangement that relies on inhumane acts for the purpose of systematic racial domination. Recommendations for nation governments of member states. One, national governments should be reminded of their legal duty under international law to take appropriate action to prevent the crime of apartheid and punish its perpetrators, taking cognizance of the findings of this report and any parallel findings by competent bodies. Two, National governments should, within the limits of their legislative, executive, and judicial institutions, take appropriate action, including allowing criminal prosecution of Israeli officials demonstrably connected with the practices of apartheid against the Palestinian people. Recommendations for civil society and private sector actors. Three, efforts should be made to broaden support for boycott, divestment, and sanctions initiative among civil society. Then there's Annex 1 and Annex 2. Annex 1 describes the apartheid legal definitions and is filled with examples of Israeli oppression of the Palestinians that constitutes that. That's a whole other section. If you're interested in that, look up the report. There's just a couple of pages of that. All the things that, uh, like access to roads, access to health care, all those things, that's in Annex 1. Annex 2, which country? Israeli policies confuse the issue in relation 
to the categorization under the Apartheid Convention of all acts fitting the purpose clause and preventing, quote, participation in the political, social, and economic life of the country, Article 2C, as crimes of apartheid. The question is, from which country are Palestinians being denied equal rights and full participation? This question engages larger questions about the nature of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict itself. Number one, which country mandate Palestine from 1922? That's the broader area. Two, the General Assembly Resolution 181-2 of 1947, which recommended the partition of Mandate Palestine into an Arab state and a Jewish state. And three, the country from which Palestinians are wrongfully deprived of equal rights may be the state of Israel. Accepting as irreversible the annexation measures of Israel in, in East Jerusalem and the West Bank, this approach would see Israel incorporating the occupied Palestinian territory fully into its governing institutions, but dismantling the policy of racial oppression and domination that make Israel an apartheid state. Jews and Palestinians may, however, fear the consequences, enduring security perils for the former and enduring discrimination against the latter. So, gentlemen, that's the end of the report, but that's kind of an overview and a summation of the report, just kind of you know, going through the 74 pages. A lot more to it if you want more detail, but it's very clear from the report and the fact that they took this report submitted it to international jurists, you know, is there anything that we said wrongly in here? And they, the jurists came back and said, no, the report is great as it stands. It, it objectively shows the laws, what's on the book, and effectively shows the abuses by the Israeli government codified into its constitution and all its laws. So if you read through this, I don't see how anyone can say, oh, Israel is not an apartheid nation. Craig, thanks so much for that excellent report. I know you spent a lot of time in this, and we really appreciate these summations. It's information that we as Americans need to know. Thanks for listening. If you like this program, please let your friends know about it and our other thought-provoking podcast. And be sure to visit our website, whtt.org, for a wealth of information on Christian Zionism and other critical issues that we face. Also at whtt.org, you can watch for free our award-winning documentary film, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Join us in our efforts to wake the town and tell the people. Start small, think big, and press on towards the straight gate.